Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. This is Henry Lopez, and welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Andy Paul. Andy, welcome to the show. Henry, thank you for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. Um, we're going to chat about Andy's journey, how he got to where he is today a little bit. But then we're going to dive in pretty quickly into improving B2B, so business-to-business sales for entrepreneurs and small business owners. If you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So let me tell you about Andy. Andy Paul is an author, a speaker, a sales acceleration strategist, a podcaster, and a highly experienced sales professional. He's been at it for quite some time, as it'll become evident. As I tell <laughs> I'm <you>. old. <laughs> exactly. We're both old. We've been around for a while. I've seen some things. Uh, Andy is the host of his own top-rated podcast. It's entitled Accelerate with Andy Paul. Uh, and that, that shows he's, he's been educating and inspiring sales professionals to take their expertise to the next level. Andy is number eight on LinkedIn's list of top 50 global sales experts, where over 166,000 professionals follow his daily posts on sales. He is also the author of two amazing Amazon best-selling books, as well as the founder of The Sales House. That's his latest venture, The Sales House, which is the first all-in-one modern personal growth program for modern B2B sellers. And that, that point of being modern is something we're going to get into about really a lot of what has changed from the traditional approach to sales. Andy, you live in New York City and in San Diego, right? You have residences both places, is that I, correct? I do, that's correct. I'm yeah. in New York City today. Wonderful, I love that. So Andy Paul, once again, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Henry. So let's get started a little bit at the beginning. I'm always interested. You studied history at Stanford, and so immediately my question is, how did you end up in sales? <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of the accidental accidental salesperson like a lot of people. <laughs> I, um, I was, certainly, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I graduated and, and had a job lined up for the summer after graduation, but didn't have any long-term plans. And uh, finally, I had a choice between the the university offered me a job. Mm. And um, I thought, well, yeah, I should look at alternatives. So I went to the Career Placement Center, and there was a ad for a job for Burroughs, which, if, you know, if you remember mm. Burroughs, but it was at the time was number two computer company in the world and uh, went and interviewed and, and got that job and <laughs> decided I'd get away from the academic environment and, and go sell, having no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> when you were studying history or when you decided to go to college to study history, what were you thinking that was going to take you? <laughs> That's what my dad said. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I had, I had no idea. I okay. mean, I, I really didn't. I, I didn't really envision you know, being a lawyer or you know, mm-hmm. anything like that. It's just, just got that classic liberal arts education. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I understand. Now, so when was your stint at JCPenney's selling shoes? Was that during school? or what? That was actually during high school. During so, high school. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So Madison, Wisconsin, working for JCPenney. So basically a, like a holiday holiday person. I sort of started in November and ended in I don't know, February or something. But uh, yeah, that was, that was quite an experience because I was a 16-year-old kid helping women put their feet into shoes. And you know, <laughs> there's a sort of just a level of intimacy about that that for a 
a, a young person was was uh, a little weird at yeah. first. But uh, imagine, were you any were you any good at it? Well, who knows, right? I mean, people came because they wanted to buy. I mean, people weren't really coming to J C Penney. My first day on the on the job, actually, I left home at like eight thirty to go to the store. I remember my parents are on the front stoop waving goodbye to me, and and uh, you know because I was the youngest of four, and you know off to my first job. <laughs> but my, I remember my boss when I showed up. He says, "Make sure you come here." He said that before I I had started. He said, "Make sure you come the first day at eight thirty. Store opens at nine. Yeah, you know, I'll show you around this warehouse, and then you know, give me ten minutes. I'll teach you how to become the best salesman <laughs> in the world." So he thought it only took ten minutes to become really good at it. But uh, right? yeah, yeah, it was it was it was fun. Did you learn anything selling shoes that? you think still applies today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I talk about this when I present to groups is that, and this is not, uh, yeah, be stereotypical or so on, but, the, yeah, I was, I took the lessons that he taught me about how to use that Brannock foot measuring device that's in every shoe store in the world. And, and uh, you know, I'd carefully measure a woman's foot and I'd walk around the, the floor and pick out styles. And invariably, they wanted a style in a different size than what they measured. Hmm. And, and this is not atypical. We all know certain shoes fit different ways and so on. And, and, you know, I, I'm an 11 in a running shoe and a 10 in a dress shoe or whatever, but I was a little sort of taken aback at this first because I sort of kept trying to convince them that, well, no, you measure this. I should get, <laughs> and it finally sort of dawned on me at the end of the first day. It was like, yeah, it's not really about what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about what the customer wants. Right. And, uh, yeah, that really has stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's such a great takeaway. All right, and then I don't know if this was at Burroughs, but you say, quote, I was not a typical salesperson. I'm a bit of an introvert. My first employer didn't think I'd ever succeed because they believed I was too analytical, close quote. Uh, so well, tell yeah. me about that. Well, so at Burroughs at the time, is after you'd been on board for a couple of weeks, they had this, uh, the whole point was to weed people out, right? They hired, mm-hmm. we had a lot of college grads and they had all these tests to try to weed you out. And one of them was, you had to sell, at that time, they were still selling these desktop adding machines that were <laughs> outdated at the time because you could get handheld calculators or substantially less, but we're out selling these to business. And, and so your first sales class you went to, you've been on board for about two weeks. They send you the sales class for two weeks and away from home. And we were, in my case, it's down in Pasadena, California. And when you come back, you come back with this evaluation and a sealed envelope from the instructor of the class. Huh. And... Yeah, I dutifully come back to the office after my two weeks away, hand it to my branch manager, and I go back into the bullpen and and start saying what I'm going to do. And he comes and gets me and takes me back to his office, and he's looking at the evaluation. He says, so how do you think you did? <laughs> I said, well, I thought I did pretty well. <laughs> he goes, hmm, that's funny, because your instructor thinks we should fire you. <laughs> <laughs> and the you know, first thought is, oh, my gosh, what am I going to tell my parents? And, you know, fired after two weeks on the job. And <laughs> I said, what? He says, yeah, yeah, the instructor thinks you're too analytical. And at that time, just to give you a sense of selling, I mean, they really, they wanted the extrovert, the hail fellow, well met type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, more stereotypical used car sales. And that just wasn't me. And yeah, I made up my mind fairly quickly when I got back to the office after training and went out and started beating my head against the wall, making cold calls that, you know, perhaps there's a way to do this that <laughs> was more in tune with who I was as a person, as opposed to the process they had set up. Right. Right. 
So, and that was, that was really the, the path is I, yeah. I looked at the guys in the office that were doing well and you know, one of them in particular was, yeah, sort of like me and uh, very service oriented, very analytical, uh, not an extrovert at all. And I just shadowed him and learned what he was doing and said, okay, well, some of that would make sense for me and others, you know, just being true to myself. There's other ways I'd, I'd put myself out there than what people did. I'd perhaps less pure cold calling. I did a lot of seminars in our branch that I invited people to that, you know, I'd harvest prospects out of. Mm-hmm. And so were you able to keep your job because you started producing in fairly short order? Why did your boss give you a break there and not fire you? <laughs> cause I, th- first of all, he, I'm laughing cause he, he had only ever hired kids that come out of college with undergraduate business degrees. I see. So he had never, he had never hired a history major. Mm-hmm. And he also thought since, you know, his stereotype about people went to Stanford was, Oh, they want to go be a lawyer or something. And so I'll never stay. And yeah, wasn't in my mind at all. Yeah. So I had, I found a way and found a way that's, you know, sort of the basis of what I continue to do for decades and succeeded very, very quickly. So mm-hmm. I actually ended up getting promoted very quickly. Yeah. So going to president's club does that. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. All right. And then you, you went on to, uh, I'm sure very various positions, but tell me a little bit briefly about that career path that, that led to then you starting your, your first consulting sure. firm. Yeah. Well, I left Burroughs because I had, uh, it was right at the time when personal computers were coming out. And I had, I really had this epiphany moment where I was working with one of my salespeople to close this quite large deal uh, in today's dollars, within a couple hundred thousand dollars. And uh, I had confirmed with the owner of the company that, that he was going to buy, the, buy the, the system from us. And we'd come down the next morning to get the contract signed. And we show up the next morning and he said, you know, that's some bad news is that we're not really order this from you because he turns around and points at this credenza behind his desk and there's this apple II sitting there oh my and he says because i was at a computer store last night and they said this computer <laughs> will for two thousand dollars do everything your you know multi-thousand dollar system will do which was not in the slightest true at that time <laughs> but uh the apple just gotten disk drives but yeah for me that was like oh Okay, that's not the last time that's going to happen. Right. And so I went back to the office and called a friend who had actually worked with me at Burroughs and had since gotten a job at Apple and said, mm. so what's going on down there? <laughs> and so that got me into Apple in the early days, uh, pre-Mac days. And then and I was responsible for marketing apples to small and mid-sized businesses. And uh, that sort of got me into the startup world at that point. I got recruited wow. to go to a startup that made the first battery-powered laptop computer. And then um, another stop in the, in the PC business and then transitioned into the wireless and satellite communications world, which I did for about 15 years before starting my own company, where mm-hmm. basically traveled the world, ran sales teams you know, covering the world, selling you know, multi-million dollar satellite communication systems. And what's really interesting is because we were selling these for these really mission critical systems, working for small companies with no brand name, no track record, competing against some of the biggest companies in the world, selling to some of the biggest companies in the world. And that sort of became my, my, my niche and my expertise where I joined companies to help them do that. Mm-hmm. And so then that shift to help others develop that proficiency, why, why yeah. did you decide to do that? Well, a combination of things. One is I was uh, 
sort of burnt out after traveling as much. And I, I missed my first birthday for one of the kids mm. on a trip. And I just decided, yeah, I wasn't going to let that happen again. And so a combination of that and with the company I was with at the time, I was part of a team that had put together a fairly sizable acquisition of another company that was based in Atlanta. And the plan would have been for me to go to Atlanta at that time from San Diego. And that wasn't going to happen. So um, from the family front. So yeah, just a combination of things that made it the right time. Yeah. What do you miss most about being, by care, about carrying a bag, about being in sales? What do you miss? I know you're doing some level of it now, but sure. what do you miss the most about it? Just learning about what companies do and the people who work there. I mean, that, for me, that was always, I think maybe one of the driving th- things for me in sales is just sort of this, you know, insatiable curiosity about companies and what they do and who they sell to and the people that work at these companies. And it was, yeah, that's what made it interesting to get on a plane and travel somewhere to, to do business. I mean, it was obviously the travel wasn't any fun, but being there was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's always what I sort of told people is, you know, the travel, if you could put that out of your mind, the international business or traveling all over the country, dealing with customers, once you're there meeting them, that that's a lot of fun because you learn so much. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think that was, that was one of the things I enjoyed the most about it as well, Andy, is you just, that new challenge, right? You, you, you weren't stuck somewhere doing the same thing. You went to somebody else's business and you learned. And, and fortunately, if you're any good at, at it, you have the ability to very quickly figure out, okay, you guys are doing it this way and here's how I'm going to recommend you do it differently. So you buy my stuff, but you're learning about this whole new environment. And so it's always something different. It's always a new challenge. Yeah, and I think the important thing for for anybody in that situation, whether you're know, an entrepreneur, or solopreneur, or whatever, is is that yeah, people are sort of going to have similar challenges, but you can't close yourself off to the fact that theirs is a unique situation, and you have to be able to treat it uniquely. And this is this is, I think, one of the hard things is in sales these days, and for a lot of companies, is you want to set up your process and you say, okay, we identify a persona that we sell to within that company with these needs, and that becomes scripted and robotic, but it, it fundamentally mismatches what the people need in a certain, even if it's one or two degrees off and that can throw the whole thing off. So you really have to, as I said, have this curiosity that's driving you that says, yeah, I want to find out what's unique about this situation. Yeah. Great point. And so let's, let's start diving into it with that, that you believe, and I don't disagree with it, that, that sales training and that word training, we'll talk about specifically mm-hmm. sales training is broken. So let, let's start there. Give me your your thoughts on why that is the case? Well, I think it's, it's fundamentally due to the difference between training and education. And yeah, I, I use this phrase and I, I didn't originate it. I wish I'd been clever enough to, but it says, you know, you, you train pets, you educate people. And, and I think that's, yeah, fundamentally the difference is, you know, training is about compliance. And so, especially in sales these days, and mm-hmm. but we're going to train you on our process. We're going to train you on our method. And we want you to use this method. We want you to use this process. And okay, fine. If everybody that you're talking to in terms of a customer on the customer side is exactly identical, right? From <laughs> situation to situation, but they're not. And I hear this all the time from, from salespeople working for companies of all sizes saying, yeah, I've been trained with an inch of my life, but I don't know how to think. Yeah. And so yeah. what's, what's the point if you have a process, but you don't know how to apply it, you can't, you know, put it into context of the situation you're in, then it does you no good. And so this is, this is where the education component comes in is, you know, how do we continually reinforce training? It's not that training's bad, but it's, it's episodic. And what we need to do is education is a daily occurrence. 
And it's not just sellers, but anybody in business has this obligation to say, how do I continue to develop my, my knowledge set, my skill set constantly, right? How do, I, how do I do that? How do I make this investment? And that's really what I'm trying to help people with is this idea of, okay, I have this responsibility to educate myself every day get better and better what we do. And then I think what exacerbates that, of course, is as you talk about it, I'd like to get your thoughts on is that you say selling is changing. It, it certainly is not the same as when we were reminiscing back in the 90s. How, what are some of the examples of how selling has changed in our world today? Well, I really think it's sort of the, the trappings around it that have changed. I mean, there's there's been this tremendous influx of these innovative sales tools, not the least of which is you know, CRM systems which give you the ability to you know, track your customers' information that you exchange with them in ways that there wasn't easy before. And new sets of sales tools that track sales activity and you know, customer engagement with your content and, and so on. But I, but I think what people tend to overestimate is the impact of those changes today, right? And, and so uh, there's this, uh, a former scientist at Stanford, he's since passed away, named Roy Amara, who had this saying, Amara's Law, which is, you know, we tend to overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate it in the long term. And I think that's, that's sort of the situation we're in in sales today, is there's been this sort of golden age of innovation in sales technologies that can help you connect with customers, help you track, you know, your activities with customers and so on. But I fundamentally don't do anything to facilitate building a relationship with the customer, connecting with them, engaging their interest, inspiring their interest, and getting them to ultimately want to do business with you. Doesn't mean that we're not gonna get there, but we're not quite there yet. So the, the basics, the foundations of, of successful sales are still about the relationship, still about the people. And where we're going to go to is that these technologies facilitate that, help you, uh, help amplify your impact and your value but we're not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what topic technologies are we talking about here? Are we, are we talking about additional functionality that'll come in CRM systems that are going to help us do that better? I, I'm not, well, there's classes of systems. You know, there's what they call sales engagement platforms, which uh, are really designed for your frontline sellers who are basically, your, let's say, your inside salespeople that are appointment setters for your account executives, mm-hmm. right? So your entry-level people, and these are yeah, effective platforms way to sort of set a structure to run almost like a campaign, if you will, in order to proactively reach out and develop new prospects. They're pretty cool. Um, but unfortunately, the way they're being used oftentimes now is, is companies aren't really changing the underlying behaviors of their salespeople. It's more automating what I call sort of bad behaviors. And one of the outcomes of that is, is it's not, Yes, why well, it's generating, creates the ability to generate more top of funnel activity. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really do much perhaps in the, the way most companies are using it to affect the quality of the top of funnel. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of sort of semi-qualified opportunities flowing through your pipeline that, that um, take a lot of time and result in relatively low close rates at the end. Yeah. So that, that, that equation needs to change and it will, I'm sure, once we get accustomed and really understand how to use them. Mm-hmm. And then related to, you touched on uh, this, this, uh, you say why the ability to be human is becoming even more valuable in sales. Well, I think um, that, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, so do you, do you think that, and in part technology as, as you've just mentioned, 
uh, may be affected that we hide behind it perhaps. But why do you think we have, and is that one of the things that has changed where now we have to be more human? And what does that mean, I guess, is where I'm stuck. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, I think that if you look at the context of what's happening relative to artificial intelligence, machine mm -hmm. learning, mm -hmm. uh, coming into business in general, but certainly starting to make its presence felt in sales, is that, you know, one thing the machines aren't good at, for instance, is empathy. Mm -hmm. And we know that the, the decision to buy something is fundamentally an emotional decision. I mean, science has been irrevocable about that. You know, we make decisions for emotional reasons and we backfill the logic behind right. it. Right. Well, empathy sort of plays a really important role in that to be able to, you know, see the world through as the customer does is to be able to empathize with that and other emotional components. Well, you know, that's not where machines are strong right now. You know, where the automation or artificial intelligence comes in is going to be automating certain, you know, at least initially rote tasks, routine tasks to free up more time for sellers to be able to do the thing they're supposed to be good at, which is building the relationships that will lead to an order. Um, but if you even look down further down the path, what, what authors and experts are looking at is that, yeah, you may see more AI involved in the selling process, but you know, if your machines go look just like anybody else's machine, right? So the ability to differentiate yourself uh, is actually going to be based on being human as opposed to being more like a machine. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to bring the human characteristics into your interactions with your prospects and demonstrate the sympathy and, I said, and other human soft skills, more critical. So people should be focusing on developing their ability to do that because that'll make them stand out. This is Henry Lopez. Let's take a quick pause on this episode to chat about your small business dreams. Do you have a great business idea, but have just not been able to get it launched? Have you built a successful corporate career but need some help making the transition to entrepreneurship? Are you ready to start building your own wealth instead of someone else's? I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. Just text BizCoach, altogether BizCoach, to 31996 for more information. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business dreams and goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to launch our first business. As an experienced entrepreneur who also made the difficult transition from the corporate world, I understand the challenges you're facing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions so that you can make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you through your transition to becoming your own boss. To find out more or to schedule your free coaching session, just text BizCoach to 31996 now. That's B-I-Z-C-O-A-C-H, BizCoach, to 31996, or visit thehowabusiness.com. So if I try to apply this to a solopreneur or a small business owner, is an example of that something like, for example, using a Facebook bot to try to qualify an interested person as opposed to a more personal approach. I'm trying to understand where, where there are examples of where small well, bots, business owners are getting that wrong today. Well, I think that, that bots are really useful and we're going to see bots used more importantly, but you have to remember what the role is. The role of bots is this preliminary qualification. Right. It probably depends on the, the complexity of your, your product you're selling as well, but mm -hmm. assuming there's some level of complexity to it that requires an interaction with a salesperson is yeah the bots can can help bring that person through the initial stages but then you have to really do an 
you know, an, an excellent job of, of discovery and needs analysis and qualification or disqualification. And part of what we see with automation is, is I see is actually almost too much in terms of activity into the top of the funnel. That's, mm-hmm. that's where before you might've said earlier, yeah, no, this one's not going to buy from us right now. But now we're going to automate a lot of that scoring, a lot of that sort of quantification or qualification even of the, um, of the level of, of uh, quality of this prospect. And so when you finally get that lead, you've got to be more discerning, not less. And we, we're sort of at the stage where we're a little less discerning about yeah. some of them. And partly because there are metrics that some companies set up to say, you know, we need to get a certain lead flow and there's certain ratios they're looking for that aren't resulting in better outcomes at the end of the day for the business. Yeah. I think back to also, Andy, that some of our best positioning in the traditional before we had these technologies happened during some of that early qualifying. And it seems like maybe we miss out on that now. And that's part of perhaps what you're talking about being more human. If if I've got some automation or AI or tools that are emerging, helping do that initial qualifying, I'm missing out on opportunities there to be more human, to be more empathetic and to position. Is that fair? I think, yes. Yeah, I think that that's fair. But I, th- I think you can even reduce it further, which is say, you know, take an example is, is let's say you've been trying to reach out to a specific potential prospect and, and, you know, statistics are, hey, you're going to make seven to 19 touches, perhaps, you know, the studies are all over the map on this, but you're going to make multiple out, you know, attempts to, to reach out to them. And, and so when you get this person on the phone, let's say, what you see oftentimes is that the seller is actually sort of keeping their eye on what's happening on their own phone, sitting on their desk. Hmm. And so you've invested all this time and effort, and yet you might take your attention away for a couple yeah. seconds because yeah. you got a Facebook notification that something happened. Okay. And I've, I've done these informal surveys when I, I do training for groups and, and I'll say, you know, who, show me your hand if you will look at your, your iPhone or whatever that's sitting on your desk while you're have a conversation going with the prospect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 100% raise their hands. <laughs> and, and again, they, if you do look into studies, which I have about, you know, this idea of multitasking, we are in completely incapable of multitasking as, as a species. So part of being human is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to turn that phone off while I'm talking to, you know, if I got two hours, if, you know, if you're a, CEO, an entrepreneur, and you've got a few salespeople sitting, making cold calls, you know, they should be blocking that time out on their calendar, dedicated to making their calls. And during such time, their phones are in their drawer turned off mm-hmm. because we want to be focused. I, I mean, I tell the story all the time, but I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm on the phone with my wife. She knows the instant, <laughs> email, right? As soon as my attention wanders, she knows. And if, she you, knows. Think and if, she, and if you think your customers don't know, then you're fooling yourself. Mm-hmm. And so why, just think how crazy it is you've invested all this time and effort to get hold of this person and then you let yourself get distracted by, you know, someone like your LinkedIn post. It's, that's crazy. So that's part of being human is being focused, being in the moment. And then another part is, you know, letting your curiosity out. We have this ability to gather so much information about people is before we even interact with them is we think we sort of know what they're going to say. You know, same yeah. thing true with all these marketing personas we create for our targeted customers. We think if we ask question A that we're going to get answer A. Well, we just go sort of go through the motions. We're not really curious about that person. And the way you make yourself interesting to a prospect is to be interested in them. 
right? And and so part of being human is is being curious and not assuming that just because you have a script of questions and potential answers, that that's what you should use. You should use it as a guide, but how do you be authentically human when you're talking to them? Yeah, that makes perfect sense now. Those are great examples. And and specifically, it, it goes to this question I want to ask you about from an entrepreneur or small business owner perspective. What what do we typically misunderstand about effective sales? And you've given some good examples, but uh, what else comes to mind as I look at this from an entrepreneur, uh, a solopreneur, a small business owner? What else do you see often, Andy, that, that we get wrong about our sales efforts, especially B2B sales? Well, I mean, there's the obvious one that, that we think it's about the product and it's really about the person. And that part really hasn't changed. And I, I think that we tend to overlook that more and more these days because there's just this assumption that, and I don't think these assumptions are necessarily valid, but there's an assumption apart, you know, you see in the sales world these days that, oh, our prospects are more busy. You know, no one answers their phone anymore, yada, 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 yada. And I, I can tell you from 40 years ago, no one answered the phone either. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> I, as I tell people today, it's, you know, unlike yes, you know, the yesteryear where, you know, I could walk into an office and, and ask a receptionist to talk to the CEO and, you know, she'd dutifully write down the message. And then as I was walking out the door, I could hear her tear it up. Right. Right. You're never going to hear it. Right. I mean, that, that person didn't even have a phone. At least nowadays they actually have a phone. Right. But voicemail isn't going to make the decision yet, though it's potentially coming with AI. But voicemail isn't making the decision to, to you know, get deep six your message. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it just, it's all about, it's still about you. And so I tell, tell a story about early in my career when I was going in and cold calling the CEO of this big home building company in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I wasn't expecting to get the CEO, right? And you go into an office, you ask for it, but you don't expect to actually talk right. to him. But, but he was there. And he, courtly older gentleman, he was very nice. You know, I was less than a year into my career. I was 22. I looked like I was 16. And, you know, he takes me into his office and he's got this huge desk that's completely clear. And, and uh, he sort of preempts me. And he, he takes, you know, on, from his top right hand drawer, he takes out this deck of business cards about three times the thickness of a deck of playing cards. But he sort of fans <laughs> them out on his desk like a deck of playing cards. And he says, so, you know, these are all the computer salespeople that have called on me in the last year. And there were all my colleagues from my office were there and all my competitors. And he said, you know, I didn't buy from any of them. Why should I buy from you? Mm. And he wasn't talking about me, the company. He was talking about me. Why wow. should you buy from me? And my answer was to myself was I had no freaking idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know. I, you know, it's just, it had never been presented to me that way. Right. And it's such an eye opener. And I was extremely fortunate that he, he sort of, started mentoring me over the course of a year because um, you know, he, he was open to me coming back in and talking to him. And I sort of learned a lot from this customer. I ultimately got an order from him, but it was, it was about me. And so, I don't know, a couple of years ago, somebody had sort of asked me a similar question about, you know, what, you know, are we making sales too complicated? Are we, you know, too much process, too method, too many methods around it? So, and I said, well, perhaps. And I, so I distilled down all my experience about how to, connect and how to build a relationship and build trust with a person that can lead to an order uh, down to four core skills. And I put them in an acronym I called BALD, B-A-L-D. And so 
the bald method, if you will. And yeah, I firmly believe that if you can master these four core skills, then you can achieve almost anything you want in sales. And so the B of bald stands for be human, as we just talked about. The A, ask great questions. L, listen slowly. You know, don't prejudge an answer. Don't, you know, don't let your, put your filters up. You know, your script, don't let your script get in the way. And D is deliver value. And I just think that's the recipe. My experience has shown overwhelming. That's the recipe for building a successful relationship with a buyer or actually anybody in your life. Be interested in them. Be human. Ask great questions. Listen to the answers and provide something of value. Mm -hmm. And there's not a whole lot more than that. Yeah. And as you say, you know, sales, sales is the promise to deliver value to your customers, right? That's, that's what you're promising. So how do you answer the question now if you're asked, what, why should I buy from you? Well, it depends on the context of what I'm selling, right? Yeah. But in my case, you know, I've, I've built up this legacy that I believe people can trust about this perspective, how you use this bald method, how you use the human skills to help customers go on this journey to buy something that will help them achieve the outcomes they want. You know, it's, a, it's an attitude of service. And you know, for me, that's, you know, as we're trying to get people to join the sales house is this is, this is what they're going to learn. You know, how to become more authentically human in order to achieve what they want, both in the short term and the long term. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think if it was asked of me, and I've I'm, I'm been asked of a uh, you know, variant of that question, I, I usually my answer was, well, I, I believe that I, what I have to offer is a value to your organization. And I am committed to making sure it's a successful project. So that, that's probably how I might have tried to answer it. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that commitment is, is important because, again, all people ultimately buy from you. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, people are, uh, you know, very self-interested, your buyers. And that's fine. They should be, right? right, right. So they're trying to reduce the risk to themselves in order to make a decision that's a good decision for the most part. People generally aren't trying to make the absolute best decision. They're trying to make a good decision mm -hmm. because there's, you know, the marginal return on your extra investment of, of time to make the absolute best decision usually doesn't pay back. And yeah, you're there to, if, if, you know, they, if they really thought they could mitigate their risks and, and validate their assumptions by talking to a, you know, a machine through a human, you know, AI program, they would, but, but they don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people assume that, newer generations coming into the workforce or more digital natives that they're going to be much more comfortable doing that. And that's going to drive greater penetration of technology, you know, all the way to the decision point. And certainly for certain brands of products it already has, right? You can buy many products online for a business that you couldn't 10, 15, 20 years ago. But when someone really has something at stake, when the person making the decision still has a career at stake, which oftentimes yeah. in, in complex sales, they do. Right they're still going to want a person to talk to, to help validate that decision. Yeah. That That's hasn't not changed. going away. Yeah. What's not going to go away. It hasn't changed. It's not going to go away. Certainly in years of my lifetime, it doesn't mean, you know, decades into the future that the technology won't, you know, progress to the point it could, but you know, as far as I'm concerned for the time frame I'm worried about, that's not going to change. And that's where this ability to stand out by being human becomes so important. Yeah. And so your point is we overcomplicate the sales pro process because we lose sight of those things. 
we make it about you know features and functions perhaps we we overcomplicate it with all of these things maybe our tools get in our way our methodology gets in the way mm -hmm. instead of it being what it's about which is this human connection and, and building a level of trust with somebody am i getting that right oh yeah that's that's this whole idea of this bald method is focus on that you know, be human ask the great questions I mean, there's not much like i said there's just not much more to it than that is you know every time you're you're interacting with a prospect it doesn't matter if you're a solopreneur it you know it could be if you're an entrepreneur because you know oftentimes entrepreneurs take the lead in sales i i do for my own company have for other companies i've worked for is someone's investing some of their time in you or in your company is what are you giving them in return mm -hmm. You know, if somebody invests time in, in talking to you, what are they getting out of it? Yeah. And if they make that decision that they didn't earn a return on that time, there's no ROI for them, you're not gonna get more time. It's that That's simple. Right. That's right, yeah. All right, I wanna go back to CRMs for a moment and your thoughts there further, uh, especially mm. for, for a small business. I mean, I, I think you need some kind of technology, to, but mostly, of course, it serves management to make sure that we can we have a forecast of some sort and we can make our numbers. Um, just what, what, what if you were advising a small company, you know, that might have I'm, I'm talking about five salespeople in that range. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on CRMs overall? Well, you should have one, right? Is, is you need this repository of interactions with your your customers and your prospects and i certainly yeah part of it's for the convenience of the company i mean salespeople come and go but you should be able to have this this uh, you know record of what the interactions have been with the, the customer but even for small businesses there are more intelligent crms systems coming on <laughs> online that you know trying to provide more assistance in terms of reminders in some cases even you know integrating sales advice at certain certain contexts that, that's able to sort of trigger and yeah they don't cost an arm and a leg and it's just it's worth mm. having your salespeople start if they're not already you know being acclimated to this idea that there are tools that can help them uh proactively reach out more effectively to perhaps a, a broader swath of people Mm -hmm. in their target market, which might have taken them more time before, but now they could do in less time. Um, you know, they could help them organize their activities and provide them reminders so that it's not as ad hoc perhaps as it was before. And these are tools that, again, the goal ultimately is to say, yeah, how can they help you help the buyer make a decision? Right. But I think, you know, the state of the art isn't quite there on some of those things, but it, it's this discipline is really worth having. And it's, this is, this is, and I wrote about this in my first book, is, you know, this information is the company's information. It's not the salesperson's information. In the past, yeah. right? Salespeople used to take customers and clients with them and so on. Yeah. And they would shelter, you know, very carefully, you know, shelter the information that they exchanged with their, their customers. Shouldn't let that happen. And if you're an entrepreneur and you've got salespeople that are being lax about keeping the CRM system up to date, I mean, sometimes there are tools that can help facilitate that. Uh, some of these engagement tools we talked about, but in the absence of that, you just have to have a zero tolerance policy is, you know, you, you want to work here, you're going to keep it updated. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for those insights and thoughts on that. Um, all right. You've touched on already, but your thought on 
salespeople need to, you say, dramatically increase investments in their own development. Mm -hmm. Is that something else that has changed? I mean, you know, back then we used to go to the, the, the obligatory yearly sales workshop at kickoff and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. What is it that, uh, that to be good at it and to continue to get better and better at it that we need to do as individuals? Well, back in the day, we would have bought our Zig Ziglar tapes and put them on our cassette player right. while we were driving between calls. Right. And we were sort of limited in the scope of things that we had access to. I mean, there were books, obviously, and there are lots of books and read as many of those as I could. But, you know, now we've got videos, we've got podcasts, <laughs> we've got, uh, you know, there's a range of, of resources available to us in many different formats, excuse me, where the, the ability to dig you know, gain new information is, is so easy. And as always, it's always about the incentive or the motivation of the person to learn. Mm -hmm. And I, I stress it even more now because it is so easy to get access to this information, but you have to have this, this curiosity. And so you know, I think for, it's always been the case for sellers is there's, if they're ambitious, if they want to achieve certain things in their career, they inevitably confront this this chasm, I call it, in their career between where they are and where they want to be. And I think one thing that's changed is since you know, we see you know, more and more employment in you know, startups and technology companies and so on, is there aren't as many of the sort of real formalized training programs that existed before mm -hmm. to be able to help these people. And, not the, and I think it was somewhat always somewhat overstated how much they existed before. I mean, I eight weeks of training my first year on in the job with Burroughs, but I haven't had maybe more than two hours since then, right? It's right. all been on me to learn it. Right. And that's okay. I mean, we can, we can rage against the machine and, and Gallup has done polls showing that one well, of the primary drivers, reasons why salespeople leave companies is they're not getting the development opportunities from the company or their immediate supervisors. And that's, that's certainly something that can be addressed. Companies could be more committed to creating true learning cultures that, you know, reward and incent and reward, you know, continuous ongoing education and, and develop personal development. Not many do in a serious way. So it's still up to the salesperson and that's, that's okay. I mean, that's just the way it is right now. So right. if you want to be able to achieve, you know, to the, to the best of your ability, the great thing about today is there's so many more resources out there to help you do it. That's right. That's right. All right. So speaking of the, the sales house, your, your current firm, t mm. tell us about uh, what you offer your clients. Yeah. Well, I mean, the impetus for starting it was not just that it sort of was the great sort of summary for, of how my feeling of how I can help the broadest number of people at this stage in my career after 42 years in sales and a you know, successful career. But, but hearing more and more from, salespeople that they're sort of stuck. You know, they've, they've sort of got the obligatory training as you talked about, but that didn't really, that's that get them to where they want to be. And companies oftentimes just can't offer that type of assistance. You know, what we call the, you know, sales growth engine is, is what do I need to learn about, you know, how to make a build a relationship, how to do an effective discovery call, uh, you know, the five key steps of qualification that that really achieve the outcomes that I want. You know, how can I generate more revenue per dollar per hour, excuse me, more revenue dollars per hour of selling time? I mean, that's that's fundamentally what a, a rep, you know, they may not think it quite yet in those terms, though they will eventually. Sure. Is, you know, how can we become more effective and productive? And 
they don't, they don't have that, that resource. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what the sales house is meant to be is come spend 10 minutes a day. We've got courses, we've got live coaching, we've got hundreds of hours of content, uh, instructional content, um, podcasts and so on, where you can come in and just, uh, just spend 10 minutes a day and get smarter about, um, you know, whatever particular topic or aspect of sales that you want to get smarter in. And it's, for me, it's, it's for this cumulative effect. You know, I look at my own careers with a little bit of training in the first year, but since that, you know, I sold, as I said, sold six continents around the world, sold everything from women's shoes to complex satellite communication systems. I decided to train myself how to do that. I never, no one ever told, taught me how to sell to major accounts. I mean, I had to teach myself. Yeah. And, but that's okay. You know, the, the curious person's gonna, gonna do that. Yes, I had some mentors along the way that helped me, and that's a larger conversation we can have about that. But, but you have to take responsibility for it, and we're just that resource that somebody can come in. It doesn't really matter what stage of their career they're at, but if you're serving that, you have sellers in sort of that you know, three to 15-year window where they're the most receptive to information, a perfect resource for them. We also have a number of people in their 50s and 60s that are sort of retraining themselves. Hmm, interesting. Uh, because, it, and maybe not even retraining as much as refreshing, let's say, um, oftentimes. Because I find people in that, that, that age group have a sort of good grounding in the basic skills, but maybe other people have lost faith in them because they're a little bit older. But mm-hmm. you know, for me, that's really valuable, valuable talent that just needs to be refreshed and, and get out there and they do fantastic jobs. Yeah, very interesting. Great. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Uh, books besides your book, is there a book that comes to mind that uh, you would recommend? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think for, for entrepreneurs, it's a great book and it's not specifically for entrepreneurs, but it, it, I find it extremely relevant. It's called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And it was written by a gentleman, a professor at UCLA, I believe called Eric Barker. And it's the <laughs> subtitle, something along the lines of you know, why most everything you know about success is mostly wrong. And it just, it's a great summary of a lot of the most current research about success and motivation and uh, compassion and, and so on. And that very, very, very fascinating. And so I think it's, you know, anybody that's in this business, want to succeed. It's got some things that are sort of counterintuitive in there that science has found that's well worth, well worth reading about. Okay, great. Thank you for that recommendation. I had not heard of that book. And so we'll, we'll have a link to it as well as to your books on the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, we can keep talking forever, but I know you've got a, you've got a time commitment, so I'll start to wrap it up, Andy. What, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had about B2B sales from the perspective of the entrepreneur or small business owner? What's one thing you want us to take away? Keep learning, both as, both as the entrepreneur, keep learning and make sure that people that work for you are given an opportunity to learn. And, and as an entrepreneur, sponsor, sponsor that learning and set aside time during the day mm. for everybody to stop what they're doing, spend 10, 15 minutes reading a book, watching a podcast, listening to podcasts, watching a video, something where people learn together. And the message you send to your team is, we believe this is important. And as, you know, as a result, people are going to say, well, huh, I'm important. And I really like what they're trying to do here. And so you get greater employee retention, greater productivity. You know, why do you want to go out and retrain or train a bunch of new employees when you can just skill up the people you have? Yeah, I think that's such a, a huge takeaway because what, what I find myself and many entrepreneurs, small business owners, you're so busy with, you know, trying to keep the business 
alive and running and bringing in those sales or whatever it is that you're doing that you don't usually make time for that. Yeah. Well, and there's just this assumption that there isn't time and there is, there is time. I mean, uh, you know, studies showing that, that for decades, and this hasn't changed at all, is that salespeople spend about a third of their time actually engaged with prospects. Well, what are they doing the rest of the time? Well, there's preparation <laughs> and so on, but there is time in there. Mm -hmm. There is time. And so spend that time. You know, well, I have a book club that I, a service I run for companies and you know, the prerequisite is if, if they want me to do this for them is they have to agree they're going to set aside 20 minutes in the business day for reading. Hmm. And it's actually a 15 minutes of reading and five minutes of having the people write and reflect in a journal what they just read. Okay. And you know, it's a powerful tool, yeah. but it's a powerful message you're sending to your people. That's right. That's right. Love that. All right. Where would you like us to go online to learn more? So you can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. Feel free to do that. That's the usual preamble, LinkedIn, what, uh, forward slash the sales house. And then uh, come to the saleshouse.com, the saleshouse.com. And then you can email me at andy at the saleshouse.com. Perfect. And we'll have all of those ways to get a hold of Andy on the show notes page as well, in case you didn't catch that. Andy, this has been a great conversation, insightful, a lot of things to think about, some great actionable tips, which I always love. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Well, Henry, it was an honor, and uh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Folks, this is Henry Lopez, and thanks again for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest again was Andy Paul, and we release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. You can also text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.